In a time when life had no value, sometimes death had a price. Uh, that is the quote that opens up the film for a few dollars more by Sergio Leone, which is one of the best uh, spaghetti westerns ever made and westerns ever made. Uh, we're not talking about that film tonight. We're talking about a film by Sergio Garoni. It is Django the Bastard. It's that by video. Here's a movie that you never seen. The map is some ninjas or a crazy death machine. There'll be smiles. There'll be tears. You won't watch a movie for about eight billion years. It's time for death by video. Time for death by video. And now the show will begin. I'm Phil. I'm Kit. And I'm Graham saying welcome back. It's been a long time since we've recorded. It's been about uh, since February was when I last recorded, even though our last episode just dropped last week. Sorry, guys, I got COVID and we couldn't do anything. But um, we're back now and we're rocking and rolling. I want to start off, off this episode by saying thank you to Unsung Horrors and specifically Erica, who runs it. Uh, she's been giving us, a, and the Unsung Horrors has been giving us a lot of uh, shout outs in the last little while. I'm a big fan of their podcast, both Unsung Horrors and Customers Also Watched. And uh, be sure to like, if you like our podcast, also give Unsung Horrors a watch, a listen as well. They cover, we've overlapped in films a couple times. They did Demon Witch Child. And I think they also did Night of a Thousand Cats. Um, and we did both those films. We did, De- uh, we did Night of a Thousand Cats after they did. And we did Demon Witch Child before they did. So they are kindred spirits, or at least with me. Um, so guys, have we watched anything recently that we want to talk about before we get into Django the Bastard? So I combed through my letterbox the other day and I realized I've watched at least 50 movies since February. Okay, go. So yeah, I right shortly after I went on like a bit of a Tony Scott kick. Mm -hmm. So uh, what kicked that off, I finally decided to watch Man on Fire and I liked it way more than I expected. And Mm -hmm. it's one of the rare Tony Scott movies that's incredibly slow paced. But it's it's the, just the perfect kind of uh, slow burn. Yeah, I love Man on Fire. I think that was like the peak of his late period career. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deja Vu, I liked a lot as well. Yeah, I was going to say, Deja Vu erasure here. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't oh, seen no. Deja Vu yet, but I, I will soon. Yeah. Like the original screenplay for Deja Vu was by uh, the main dude who wrote all the Pirates of the Caribbean movies and Shrek. And uh, he was dead set against Tony Scott directing it. And Tony Scott did extensive, brought in his writers and did extensive rewrites. And on principle, the original writer just flat out refused to ever watch it. (laughs) Good to know. Yeah. It it remains my favorite movie based on a Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young CD. Uh, anything else? Uh, well, what do you think of Unstoppable? Unstoppable was a fun one. I don't like it as much as the fans do, the big fans do, but I, it is a fun one. Uh, it's probably the leanest Tony Scott movie as well. Yeah. It's just very bad, bare bones. And it did prompt me to uh, rewatch Runaway Train with uh, John Voight and Eric Roberts, mm-hmm. which I haven't seen since, I guess, my early teens. And uh, that's a solid one. Um, yeah, John Boynton is great in that movie. It's too bad he's gone way off the rails, but yeah, he's he's something else in that one. Yeah. Anything else, Phil, that you want to tell us about that you've watched? I watched the total. Speaking of Denzel, uh, I watched the totally unhinged Ricochet. Oh, it's an early one, right? I remember that. Yeah, it's from '91. It, it was Ice T's, I guess, second movie, like right after New Jack City. Wasn't Ice T in Break Into Electric Boogaloo? Oh, yeah, he was. Or maybe it was the first one. I don't even remember, but I guess. Yeah. I think it was the second one they had to save the rec center. Yes. I watched uh, the Dennis Hopper-directed uh, neo-noir The Hot Spot with uh, Don Johnson and Jennifer Connelly and uh, Virginia Madsen and Jack Nance. Hmm. It's funny. I always remember when they covered that on movie television back in the 90s. They had to blur out a lot of the scenes. 
there's heaps and heaps of nudity, but it's a, it's as offbeat as it is sleazy. And it's a real slow burn movie, yeah. When they re-release it, they should put that should be your like reviewer's tag on it. Heaps and heaps of nudity. <laughs> what else, Phil? Anything else? Uh, I watched uh, Michael Clayton, which uh, I for whatever reason I never got around to watching, and uh, I haven't seen it either. Like Jesse Hawkins recently on Twitter insisted that it was his that was the the best movie of 2007 above No Country for Old Men and Zodiac and There Will Be Blood. Mm-hmm. Which I I won't go that far, but it is a solid uh, legal thriller, and it's got like a it's got a stacked cast. Uh, like Tom Wilkinson's particularly great in it. Um, Tilda Swinton she won the Oscar with good reason, and um, Sidney Pollack gives a solid supporting uh, performance. I watched uh, Macon County Line, which is a uh, oh. a, a solid. Uh, early 70s uh drive-in b picture it was i think at the time it was like one of the most profitable movies of the early 70s but it's since been kind of forgotten but it is on tubi and uh it's uh it's famous for inspiring the coen brothers to do their based on a true story uh thing for fargo i figured i figured yeah macon county line apparently from what i've seen it too um and apparently from what i heard is they tested it for audiences and audiences were like meh and then they put that little line about based on a true story names have been changed to, to respect the dead or whatever and people liked it a lot more so they just went with that Nice. I think I have the sequel to Macon County Line on VHS somewhere. Well, in my storage locker right now. Um, cool. So, Phil, uh, any final film that you want to talk uh, about before we move on? Final film. I did a total 180. I decided to watch, re-watch uh, The Counselor movie I initially hated, but I, this time I watched The Director's Cut. And... Uh, oh, hmm? I said, oh, Ridley Scott and his director's cuts, because he always releases a movie, <laughs> a final cut, and then he releases a director's cut afterwards, which is basically him just saying, I know I made a, a movie that isn't that great, so here's a version that I reworked to be slightly better. Error, I guess. Yeah, you know what? He, he's right in the end, usually. <laughs> you don't see authors doing that, though. That'd be funny. Just re releasing yeah. their own book, like, hey, I, I messed up a few chapters. Um, all right, so Kit, uh, anything you watched lately that you want to talk about? I mean, it's been months. Well, like, let's narrow it down to just a few. Just a few. Yeah. I mean, I, I did watch, like, all the Oscar films, or as much as I could take. Um, but there's not much to say about those. Some went Oscars and some didn't. Yeah. What did you guys think of the broadcast, though? Just, uh, did anybody watch? Or? I did not watch. I watched the broadcast. I thought the broadcast was good. I mean, I liked the way it was shot. I liked the fact that it, the cameras were constantly moving. It looked like a movie. It had a great opening title sequence. It just ended bizarrely with like... Well, yeah, moving the best picture in front of the actor's spot it makes no sense to me, and they, they need to cut that shit out. Yeah. Well, the reason why they did that is because they basically were under the assumption that Chadwick Boseman was going to win, mm-hmm. and they had a video package prepared with his wife standing by to also accept the award and be like, oh, this will be a really great moment to end the Oscars on. And then Anthony Hopkins won, and it was just sort of like, and it's... He's it's 4 a.m. in England, so he's asleep in bed. <laughs> and it's like they well, just had a publicity shot up, just as <laughs> it's so funny. But apparently, like they, they messed up even further because Olivia Coleman, who's who stars alongside him in the father, was set to come up in the event that he wins. She was set to come up and give a little speech. But instead it was Joaquin Phoenix, and he's like, Oh, well, he's not here, we'll accept the award tonight. And then that was yeah. it. I, it's, it's a Joe Pesci acceptance speech. <laughs> Except for not his award. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure Joaquin just went off book with that, but uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know I've got to catch up on the Oscar movies. I haven't watched them. I was yeah. not mobile at the time. Well, I guess the craft of the Oscars is that Soderbergh touch, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he he basically said like they're going to shoot it because they shot it in like anamor like in proper. Um, I think it's two three five is the aspect mm-hmm. ratio or one eight five, whatever the 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 widescreen ratio is. Uh, in cinemascope and at 24 frames per second and it was lit really well okay not shot on an iphone no 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 he he doesn't that was just a a joke he said where he's like i'm gonna shoot all my movies on an iphone and then he shot two on it and then like ditched it for the alexa (laughs) so it's like but yeah it was it was a beautiful like it looked good and it it wasn't long like for an oscar ceremony didn't stretch into that like four hour territory they had like they went went over by like i think 15 minutes which were not 
they had one weird spot where like Questlove is just I don't know playing games with the audience and stuff, and Glenn Close is doing the butt dance and stuff. Like we don't we don't need this. No, and also that's an earlier in the night game that shouldn't be. That was like hour three. Like it shouldn't be like we're almost done the show. We're gonna do this game now. That Let's should slow things out. down. Yeah. So Questlove was doing the Ellen thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, but no, uh, just keeping it to a couple of uh, first watches here. Uh, I watched Death Wish. Uh, the 1974 Death Wish um, for the first time. It was kind of fun. I kind of dug it. Cool. It's uh, Charles Bronson, mm-hmm. Jeff Goldblum, of course. Yeah. Uh, his uh, his uh, debut. That Herbie Hancock score. I don't know. I kind of had fun with it. Yeah. It's so 70s though, and it's so like grimy 70s. It's like mm-hmm. almost like a parody of such a movie. It's just mm-hmm. ridiculous. Well, it became the standard, right? So. And all the muggies are like the same type of hippie freak type. <laughs> all the muggers. Did I say muggies? You said muggies. <laughs> I like that. That's a nicer name for muggies. <laughs> muggies. It's a hybrid of hippie and muggy. Uh, mugger. My God. Um, it's a Sunday, folks. <laughs> yes, Phil. Yeah, no. In the early days of YouTube, there was a parody like where like Death Wish, the Death Wish trailer was remixed to be called Killing Hipsters. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, there's that that seventy uh, that um, Simpsons parody where it's just like Troy McClure going around just yeah. shooting hippies uh, in yeah. a drive-by car. Um, but I also remember like very early on, like I was never allowed to watch the Death Wish movies. They're obviously not the uh, politics that um, my parents, the movie gatekeepers, <laughs> would support. Um, but uh, I remember reading a Mad Magazine, like a best of movie parody edition of Mad Magazine, because I was into it when I was ten. And I read the uh, Death Wish parody, and it just pretty much lives up to what that was. What they call the Death Wish parody? I can't remember. Oh, okay. Bleth Wish? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. No Mad Magazine. Breath Wish. Uh, and then uh, I also watched Catch a Thief, just a random Hitchcock movie that happens to be on Prime. Just threw it on. Grace Kelly is fantastic. Feeling like Cary Grant's a little overrated, but you know what? I haven't seen a lot of Cary Grant films. Just wasn't that impressed. He just seemed to be there oh graham go ahead well you see, you've seen north by northwest right I never have oh wait until it's playing on the big screen like i think it's such a good like because that's the thing about those old movies is that they weren't even made with the thought they would ever be on tv so it's like when you see it on a big screen like oh this works that's why like the shots are the way they are and why there's so few close-ups um because i like I, I watched a couple classic films and it was the same thing of like there's not that many close-ups because a close-up mattered when you cut into someone's face what else have you seen um, I mean, I watched Jiu-Jitsu, which is some random movie, just as a as a goof, like in some uh, a Netflix party. It's a uh, good old Nicolas Cage starring in stuff. Although I will say, I mean, the movie's bad. All the acting's bad. It's just terribly written. It's it's based on a comic book, which was done by the director, who's some rich Greek guy who's been in the movie industry forever. Mm. Um, and it's not good. Um, but once Nicolas Cage appears on screen, and he's not the star, obviously, although he's the star of the poster, um, man, he's just so good. He just works with whatever. You're going to tell he ad-libs a bit, too, but, you know, he just works with the material so well. Um, I watched a lot of stuff between, well, not, not as much as I normally would have between the last time we recorded and now, but um, I'm going to jump around and, and just not to go through everything, but a few things I liked. I uh, watched Doris Wishman's Bad Girls Go to Hell, which is mm. an awesome early 60s kind of sexploitation movie like it was they were clearly dealing with like okay we can only tease almost see we can see like a woman's bare back but we can't see her butt and we'll just like tease it throughout the entire movie but it's a it's a fun little exploitation film from Doris Wishman very much like Doris Wishman shot like she was a one woman crew um I also watched this really strange movie called Psycho from Texas which could be a future death by video movie it's very much a regional exploitation film uh, so much so that when they re-released, they basically, it was initially released under the title of Wheeler, which is the main character's name. And then uh, they decided to rename it Psycho from Texas and then shot like a new scene with Linnea Quigley in it and the main character going to KFC to get some chicken. And then they released it as Psycho from Texas. Exploitation. Uh, yeah, it's, just, it's a weird movie about a, a like a guy who's kidnapped or who's like hired to kidnap someone. But like the first half hour of the movie is him just driving around the town, like meeting people and saying, hello, how do you do? Um, yeah. Until he kidnaps someone. But um, 
And then I saw a film that, that kind of blew my mind that I read about in Bruce Campbell's autobiography like 20 years ago. Uh, it's the movie called Running Time from 1996, I think, or 97. It's uh, black and white, shot in 16 millimeter. It is an amazing film. I highly recommend you seek it out. Synapse releasing, put it out a remastered version on Blu-ray and it is dynamite. Like it's, the, the, the whole thing about it is that it almost takes place in real time and it's shot not to be like, oh, we did it all in one take, like uh, 1917. Like you can see where they're covering it up, but it's like, it's meant to seem like every single scene is one take and they, you know, someone wipes the frame or they go through a door and it gets dark for a second and then it transitions. But it's really cool because it's about Bruce Campbell who plays this um, criminal who gets released from jail. And on the same day he gets released from jail within 10 minutes, he's going on to rob the money that the jail gets from doing laundry. Like they basically like, uh, the jail does laundry as opposed to like license plates. And so the warden is like skimming it for money. And so he's gonna steal the warden's stash, all of this. Like, so as soon as he gets picked up by his buddy, he rounds up his team of guys and they go into like crack the safe and get it and escape. But of course things go wrong because of people and like vehicles break down, all that stuff. Really, really good tight minute movie. I think it's only like 79 minutes or maybe 75 minutes. Highly recommend it. It's not streaming anywhere as far as I know, but the Blu-ray is out. Um, we'll do it on the podcast after we do like some, some, as soon as I get, as soon as this whole plague ends and we can all see each other again, um, we'll do it on the podcast for sure. Yes. Do you, remember that? do you remember that? What was that film? I'm just, it's coming to my memory now. Um, it was like, just, it was real time one take and it was like four different screens. What the hell was that? Oh, called? Uh, uh, source code or no, not source code. Yeah, time code. Time code. Time code. Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah. Yeah, that was Mike Figgis, right? That did that, I think. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. uh, then I watched. Uh, skipping ahead to some other movies, I watched this documentary, The Projectionist, by Abel Ferreira, which mm. is kind of a light documentary, but it's really good. It's streaming on Canopy. Um, it's basically about a, a guy from Greece who moved to the United States when he was a child and got a job working in a movie theater. And he just decided this is what I'm gonna do for my whole life. And now he owns a bunch of independent theaters in New York City, like he runs them. And he, um, he, uh, he runs the theaters. And uh, he started out as a projectionist. He, he, he's very open and honest about the kind of things he, uh, movies he did, because he worked in like porno theaters and gay porno theaters. And he basically now like uh, works to keep his independent cinemas in New York City going. And there's a real charm to him because he's just a, he just kind of feels like uh, a guy. I hate to say like an American success story, success story because he, he doesn't really live large. He's just like he's like I just like movies and that's how I make my money and then like that's what I keep making my money and like he keeps getting offers from developers to like let them like buy his land and bulldoze the theater to build condos or some god awful monstrosity. He's like, no, we make this is a movie theater. This is this is for the neighborhood. So, cause he has them in Queens and in, I think in uh, the Bronx and some other places, but it's really good streaming on Canopy. It's also available on Blu-ray. I think Bay Street Video has it. It's really good. Uh, then I watched um, a film that was released like right as the pandemic started, unfortunately. It's called The Climb. Uh, I saw it streaming on Hoopla. I'm not sure if it's released on DVD or Blu-ray yet, but it's, uh, it's a really good, it's an American independent comedy about toxic male friendship and how it just ruins your life. Um, but it's, it's really funny. It's not, and it's totally different from like other independent comedies of this time where they're sort of born out of that whole groundling sketch comedy like world. This one's actually from like the, the comedy comes from the characters and the script and the story, which is nice. It's not just like gags or funny quips or whatever. It's like everything leads up to everything else and it gets funnier and funnier. Um, and the opening scene, I'll just give you a little taste of it. It's two friends, biking up a hill in France and they're there for the wedding of one of one of the guys there and his best friend is his best man and the the groom is like not as in good shape and he's like struggling to keep up and so his best friend tells him like hey so I got to tell you something um I slept with your fiance and the guy's like what why why did you do that I'm gonna kill you and he's like yeah I know you're gonna kill me that's why I waited until we reached the hill before I told you and so he's like pedaling up the hill and there and it's all one take it's all one take of them like both and the actors are literally like struggling for breath like I'm gonna kill you. Why did you do this? It's so good, so funny. Um, and then two more movies. I watched Bag Boy Lover Boy from 2014, which is streaming on Tubi. I don't know if I can recommend this movie, but it's it's certainly unsettling and it's certainly left me like 
feeling uncomfortable, but I think I loved it. I'm not sure. Initially, it was going to be like, oh, it's a two and a half star movie, but I think I rated it three stars or three and a half stars on Letterboxd. A uh, very bizarre film about a immigrant who works the night shift at a, at a, at a hot dog cart somewhere in a hellhole in New York City where it's still awful. And he becomes a model for an art photographer and things go bad. Uh, we'll just put it that way. Finally, the last movie we want to talk about is Gun Crazy from 1950. I watched it on the Criterion yes. Channel. That is a great film. I, I love it, yeah. yeah. I put it off for years because I thought like it was just going to be like some kind of like shoot him up whatever movie but it's really good and it also kind of it it brings out the fact that like just because like that you basically i think the overlying theme of the movie is like regardless of how you look at guns they only have one purpose at the end of the day and uh it's it's a great film black and white it clearly was influential on the french new wave for sure like when like at one point they're wearing like you know like um ray-ban sunglasses and and the uh the female lead is wearing a beret and i'm like this is so influencing early godard and Truffaut. so that brings us to our film that we're talking about tonight which is django the bastard all right so django the bastard let's talk a little bit about the history of italian westerns with django in the title uh, so while Sergio Leone had his hits with his Dollars trilogy, it was Sergio Cor- Corbucci that created the first breakout pure spaghetti Western with his 1966 film Django, starring Franco Nero, who also starred in Kioma, which was also directed by, I think, Sergio Corbucci, which yep. we did in, in Death by Video episode 79. While Django, the original Django was barely distributed in North America, it was a, and it was straight up banned in the UK, it was a massive hit in Western Europe. Uh, this sparked... Italian Western producers to just start putting the name Django into titles of any Western they were making, regardless of any of the characters in the films were titled, were named Django. So some of the best known Django films are Django Prepare a Coffin, A Few Dollars for Django, Django Kill, which I really like, um, Django Shoots First, Viva Django, Son of Django, Django the Runner, Django A Bullet for You, Django the Last Killer, Django Kills Softly, uh, Hanging for Django, Django meets Sartana. Django and Sartana are coming. It's the end. Django is always number two. Django's cut price corpses. Ballad of Django. Kill Django. Django Adios. Long live Django. And the Japanese film Sukiyaki Western Django by Takashi Miyakai, uh, which is not too, too long ago. I think it's from like 2009, 2008. Um, Tarant- which Tarantino has a cameo in. Uh, and I really like Sukiyaki Western Django. It's pretty good. It's not bad. All the actors speak the dialogue phonetically. It's, it's, it's fun. Yeah, it's a fun experiment, which Miyaki is known for, uh, or Miyakai. Um, and that brings us to Django the Bastard, which was originally released in North America as The Stranger's Gundown. Stranger's Gundown. Yeah, it is directed by Sergio Caroni. Um, there were a lot of Italian directors named Sergio in the 60s and 70s, I found yes. out. And like, like Sergio Martino, Sergio Corbucci, Sergio Leone. But uh, the one thing I will point out, though, is if you click, if you go to Sergio Garoni's IMDb page, or sorry, Wikipedia page and click the IMDb link, it actually doesn't take you to his uh, IMDb page. It takes you to some other Italian director from the same era named Marcello something or other. It was very bizarre. So um, maybe they're the same guy? I think I'm, but, there, but there's another, but Sergio Garoni has his own IMDb listing. So Garoni was more of a writer than a director. Uh, his writing career began in 1966 with the film Diogo uh, and it ended in, in 1982 with the movie Hell Penitentiary. Uh, his directing career started in 1968 with the Western If You Want to Live, Shoot! Uh, when Westerns fell out of favor in Italy in the mid to late 70s, he moved on to directing the vilest of subgenres, Nazi exploitation. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. In 1976, he directed SS Experiment Love Camp. Nice. And then he followed up in 1977 with SS Camp 5, A Woman's Hell. Hell. <laughs> so definitely not the classiest of European cinema at that point. Uh, and he finished his directing career with 1981's The Ultimo Harem, a.k.a. The Ultimate Harem, which is the story of a model who falls in love with an oil minister from the Middle East they get married and move back to his home country where he discovers or where she discovers that he already has three, three wives, 
hilarity ensues. Um, you know, bedroom uh, farce. No, it's actually a, a romantic drama. So it's okay. I just said hilarity ensues because I'm just like I can just see how awful that movie would be. Yeah. Um, Sergio Garoni co-wrote the script with star Anthony Steffen, who also stars as Django. Uh, he found great fame in the 60s and 70s, particularly in the Italian Western genre, having starred in 27 Westerns, which earned him the reputation of being called the Italian Clint Eastwood. He also starred in several Giallos, which you know I love. Uh, and he included a film that we're going to watch in the future, The Night Evelyn Came Out of the Grave, which is mm. a really bizarre film. It's called a Giallo, but it's it's weird. Um, so uh, I can talk about the other character actors later on, but let's talk about the film. So guys, let's kick off Django the Bastard. It opens with the character Django walking through a silent, lonely uh, Western town, which All I love. All in great O-credit opening credit sequence with uh, yeah. some great uh, Morricone-esque score. Yeah, which also kind of sounded like James Bond every now and then. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. when the horns start coming in. Yeah, and the like, and, bongo drums start going. Yeah, and then the other thing too is that uh, they don't. Ha- it's not as good a Django theme as the original Django, which is so hard to top. Uh, which is why they used it again in Sukiyaki Western Django, and and of course in Django Unchained. Um, but uh, yeah, he walks into the town, and then he, you know, he's wearing a uh, a poncho, and he like flips it off, and then he likes like puts a cross with a name and a date, like. Uh, someone died on this date in 1881 into the ground and it's badass like as soon as i saw that i'm like oh this movie's got some got some tricks up its sleeve just a solid way to tell a guy you're gonna kill him yeah yeah yeah. hey it's today's date and the name is yours now the opening sequence it's all handheld camera as well yeah or it looks that way yeah yeah it's a little shaky uh, and it's just really well shot. Like you see him like walking with like the camera looking through like a, wheel, a wagon wheel as like his mm-hmm. footsteps enter frame. Uh, yeah, the guy. And they actually call him Django in this film, which is interesting. I didn't. I wasn't aware if they were going to mm-hmm. do that or not, but they do. Could that have been um, like just a dub? Like they were like, well, let's. Yeah, possibly. His name's actually Rick or something. <laughs> yeah. it, it could have possibly been that. Although the original title was always Django the Bastard. So, and this came out like three years after the original Django. So I think, um, so I think it's, it's probably legit that it's, it's, it's a, an actual Django. It's funny because we never actually get into his relationship with his father. Um, is he estranged from his dad? We don't. I don't know. I guess so. Oh, I forgot, so to, point, I forgot to point out that um, Sergio Garoni, he also directed two other Django movies, A News for Django, which was released the same year as Django the Bastard, and Kill Django, which was released the year after. So it's like he made three Django movies in two years, or less than two years. Um, but yeah, he enters the town, and then uh, there's a scene, like it's early morning, because like the town is deserted. Um, and um, a character uh, asks the guy whose name is on the tombstone. Sam for, Hawkins. Uh, Sam Hawkins. Oh, right. Sam Hawkins, like, hey, Sam, are you feeling sick? And the guys, and Sam is like, why? And he's like, because there's a, a cross outside with the, your name and the, today's date on it. And so they're like, what the hell? And they go out and Django wrecks them. Uh, I also realized this film is quite simple in its plot. It's basically just Django going around shooting people. Yeah, Django's uh, just a regular angel of death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. It's a, it's more of a mood than a plot, from what I get. But he calls himself not an angel of death. He calls himself a devil from hell. Ooh, when yeah. asks, Who are you? Because, mm-hmm. because yeah, like this film uh, has been known to be an influence on High Plains Drifter, the Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah. Except in that movie, spoiler alert, um, Clint Eastwood actually is a, a dead person taking revenge for his own death. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this film, he's pretending to be a dead person back from the grave, but pretending to be a ghost which is cool. Like, that's a really cool way to just kind of take your revenge, I guess. I'm haunting you from beyond the grave, but my bullets are real. Um, and so we kind of go on and we meet the, the, the main villains of the piece, which is the Murdoch family, uh, which is Rod, Major Rod Murdoch and his younger brother, who in every credit I can find is credited as Hugh Murdoch, but in the movie they call him Luke Murdoch. That's something. correct, yes. Yeah. And uh, we meet Luke's wife, um, 
Al Alida? Alida? I think it's Alida, Alida which Alida, made me yeah. think of Alida Battle Angel, the Robert Rodriguez movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's actually spelled A L I D A. Hmm. Alida. Alida, yeah. And so we kind of learn early, and like we just learned these people are kind of like bastards and they well, they're afraid of them. Yeah. They're all they're all gathered together watching a uh, fun spirited game of like dynamite hot potato. Oh, right. Like dynamite cat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was like, who who agrees to play this game? Yeah. Like, what are they like forced to do it? It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's I, was, just, I was just watching, expecting somebody's hand to get blown off. Mm -hmm. Also, what I thought, or head to get blown off. It didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess if like the dynamite stick lands on your side and you're not able to get it and toss it in time, then, then you lose. And... You lose and get horribly disfigured. Yeah. Well, nobody does get horribly disfigured, mm. thankfully. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm guessing there are people that are probably like destitute and broken and like, we'll pay you like five bucks if you pay play Dynamite Catch. It's like the bum fights of its day. Exactly, well, yeah. Well, they are like the uh, the rich, um, these guys, the rich. Uh, Murdochs. Yeah, they're they're betting on it. They're, they're taking yeah. a bet. And this is all, and also we see that like um, Django is present as well. And like one guy even says, I think I saw Django. And like, he can't be here, you know, what happened? And we get a little, we get a little hint of what happened where we see Django a few years younger getting gunned down, but we don't really know what's going on. And then we kind of learn that the, the Murdochs are like the wealthiest people in this, in this town, in this area. And Hugh, or sorry, Luke is kind of a loose cannon. Like, I mean, he's dragging people through the streets behind his horse. And when the, the, the townsfolk, the mayor of the town goes to the sheriff to say like, you gotta do something, you're the law. The sheriff's like, well, you know, they said they need all those men surrounding them for protection. It's like, we need protection from them. And so the sheriff who's terrified of them basically just decides like, yeah, I'll go in and I'll show my badge and we'll, they'll calm down. We've jumped ahead like an hour into the movie. But yeah. Oh, I did? Yeah, that, that happens like an hour in. Uh, oh, is this when, when Django like haunts the guy at night? Well, yeah, you've got, uh, so he, then he goes to the, um, I guess the gravestone maker. Uh, right. Oh, carpenter, and he's like, "Can you make a cross?" And the guy's like, "Yeah, I can for a dollar." He's mm -hmm. like, "Make a cross for Ross Howard." And the guy's like, "Ross Howard, shit, I'll make it for free." Yeah, because <laughs> I guess nobody in town likes these guys. Yeah, these guys are um, not like. And then he does he does the same sort of thing, but this time he's he's even more like spooky with it. He goes to uh, because uh, Murdoch's there to pay him. He, he owed him for the bet because mm -hmm. he'd lost the bet, so he's got to pay this Howard guy. Um, and then he's like, I think I saw Django in town. He's like, nah, I couldn't have. Um, and then Django's just like there in his house. He just kind mm -hmm. of appears. Um, and then he like just keeps on moving away, like into the shadows. And then the guy will get out his gun and try to chase him. And then he's just like there and he moves a little further into the shadows. And he just does this whole thing until he get to the graveyard. And he's got a grave all dug for him with his gravestone there. Mm -hmm. It's as fancy as he gets with this uh, little maneuver. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he shoots him right into his grave. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's interesting, like, because also, like, unlike a lot of other Western characters at the time, he dresses all in black. So, yes. like, his black poncho, black hat, black shirt, black pants, black boots. Like, even the original Django, like, he had, you know, some color in him. But this guy's all black to symbolize that he's death mm -hmm. coming for these people. Um, and and then from there... Yeah, well, this is where Murdoch is like, I need protection. So he, he, right. he goes to hire a bunch of dudes. You also find out that, um, uh, what's your face, Alita was paid to marry uh, the brother. Exactly, That's yeah. That's a weird scene. Mm -hmm. It's like a very high-end escort service she's running. Yeah. Or, like, just marry a dude. Mm -hmm. Like mail order brides. Yeah. <laughs> what was it? Yeah, Alita, like, married Hugh because Rod paid her to. And she's not even, like, and apparently Luke didn't know it. Cause he seems very upset when like, she actually says it openly to Rod, like, where's my money? I married this They never guy. think that Luke can hear things and he's always just in the next room, like listening. Well, I think they try and play off that he's like deranged and just crazy. Yeah, he's and got so, like a it, it's all that peroxide in his hair. Mm -hmm. well, <laughs> the interesting thing about that, that actor is that in real life, he actually is legitimately a hunchback. Oh God. Yeah. Oh, so is that he, right? Yeah, yeah. So he, he wasn't affecting a weird stance. That's just how he stands. But he's been in a lot of stuff too, uh, but we'll get to that. Um, so then Luke is dragging the body behind the horse. And this is when the mayor goes to the sheriff to say like, you gotta do something. And the, and the sheriff was like, you know, like the Murdoch said they need those men for protection. And it's like, as the mayor of this town, I order you to go and put a stop to this. And so the sheriff's like, all right, I'll go out and do it. And so he goes out and confronts 
um, confronts Luke Murdoch and like his thugs. And Murdoch just murders them all, just shoots them all dead. And then he goes around screaming like, I did it. I killed law and order in this town. He shoots the mayor and the sheriff. Yeah. I don't know if he shoots the deputy, but but then there's another part where like, um, I don't know, there's that that money guy. Um, oh, and, yeah. And uh, he's in the he's in the brothel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he uh, he goes up. He goes upstairs. Uh, the, the madame comes down. I guess he's got a special relationship with her and he's got some sort of arrangement and he's got all this money. Yeah, um, and then Django's there in the in the bedroom. He's like he, he he makes the little drinks for for him and his mistress. And then when he he goes to turn around to give her the drinks, it's Django, and he's like, "Oh, why? Thank you. I needed a drink. A nice a nice cool drink." I did want to point out that it's a very modern champagne bottle in that 1880s <laughs> brothel. Like when I saw it, I was like, "Okay, I know that like these are lower budgeted affairs, but come on, like it would have been in like something with like a." Like it would have been like a hardcore, it wouldn't have had like modern foil wrapped around it to just toss away. Foil was, you know, a valuable commodity back then. Well, I wasn't quite sure if I understood Django's plan here, but it was kind of funny. He's like, I'm going to leave you half the money. And yeah. then he proceeds to actually rip the rip money in it. half. <laughs> and he's like, you can get the, I'll, I'll keep one half and you keep the other. Mm-hmm. And you can get it tomorrow or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that guy's, in, well, he just sends a posse out after Django. Django leaves the bar or the brothel. Yeah. Sends a posse, and then of course Django owns them again. Yeah, takes them all out. He uses a lot of tricks. So, like he's got dummies that are like dressed like him. Oh yeah. yeah. And I, I like that where it's like this is a guy who like clearly has like been healing up for years, and be like, okay, I'm gonna make them think I'm a ghost. I'm gonna be spooky. Um, and then they. Uh, he's also they big on crosses. He's yeah. big on uh, putting people on crosses. Oh, we'll get to that. I love that where it's like he sent the bad guy sends out all these men to go get him, and then Django just sends them back on crosses. Well, he um, does send the uh, the one guy, like this money guy. Uh, mm-hmm. Next day, they show up at uh, a boss, uh, I guess Rod uh, Murdoch. Rod Murdoch, yeah. His uh, his plantation or whatever he lives on, and um, they do the money man's already tied to a cross. I guess he's dead. Yeah. Um, but boss already has his uh, his henchmen there lying in wait, but the. And of course, uh, Django takes them out one by one. Yeah. And then for some reason, um, Alita, uh, Luke's wife, is tied up here. Which yeah, I, I never sure I understood. It might be a scene that got cut out at some point. Like, okay, we paid you off. Now you're just going to be tied up. You're just going to be like, if you want it, like, if you want really want the money, then we'll just treat you like, you know, a, a whore, for lack of a better term. Yes, and I also... Oh. Wasn't there... Wasn't the Italian cut like 10 minutes longer than the yeah. cut that was circulating? I'm pretty sure the cut that we, we saw was definitely the American release. Mm-hmm. Uh, Synapse released the film uh, Restored on Blu-ray uh, last year or the year before. And I haven't seen that edition. Like the version we watched was on Tubi, which clearly came from like a VHS letterbox version. I um, watched it on YouTube because there's a really pristine version on YouTube. Oh. And it's the same cut as the one on, that's on Tubi. Yeah, just way better looking. Yeah. And uh, without like the unfortunate ad breaks that I was getting. Yeah, yeah me too. Very ill oh, time. Yeah, like literally, like right <laughs> as the climax is happening, here's oh, what I'm going to do. Oh, oh. The bank ad. Yeah. Yeah, usually 2B ads are way better timed. Mm-hmm. I, I actually, uh, by the way, I just got to point out that Miss Walton or Alita Walton's, or, or Murdoch, sorry, I guess we're not. Um, She's got like this music that always shows up when she enters a room, like there'll be a mm-hmm. tense situation and then like the camera goes over to her and she starts speaking and there's like a nice soft kind of gentle music. Just wish that would happen for me. Yeah. Soft <laughs> music as you enter the room. Yeah. <laughs> Calm things down. Mm-hmm. You look very calming right now. With your stash. <laughs> uh, I, said, I said that you look very calming right now with your stash. Oh, well, thank you. I'm going yeah. for that 70s look, I guess. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, you look like the nice uh, physics, like grade 10 physics teacher. The nice one, though. Yeah, the nice one, not the, okay. not the bad one. Um, so, yeah, so he frees Alita and takes that, just wrecks the, the guy's men again. Because, again, this movie is very much like a bunch of guys go to get Django. Django wrecks them. And then another bunch of guys, and he wrecks them. Um, and Alita has no allegiance to... Um, no. Because immediately she's like... I know where their money is. Let's run off together. And yeah. He's like, I ain't interested in money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, where is the moment? Um, oh, where the, where the, all the men are sent out into the, the wilderness to f- try and find Django. Cause they're like, he can't clearly can't be in the town. 
and they heard a bear trap trap go off. I think yeah. this is actually, um, it's more men that are coming in. Like they yeah. hired a bunch of men. And so here's another set of men. They refer to them uh, in another scene as uh, the Mexican and his, his yeah. men or something like that. All played by Italians, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah, they're all sitting around talking about, well, you think he's really a ghost and stuff? Oh, uh, well, I've been hired to come over here and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, yeah. then there's a bear trap bomb of some sort. Yeah, and then the bear trap shuts um, and they go over being like, oh, at least we got some meat for tonight. And then the bear trap explodes when they get close to it. So I don't know. It's the old exploding bear trap trick, as I wrote this, down. The this first is, exploding bear trap I've seen in a movie, honestly. Yeah. This is true. I'm not even sure where the explosives were set or how that even works. Uh, it turns out that Django is really adept with explosives. We find yeah. this, this out later as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, this, this scene does reveal one important thing about his character, is that he will not shoot a man in the back. Oh, because there's mm-hmm. that one guy who's running away and he levels his gun and he aims it. They lets him go. Puts it down. Oh, but, and then that guy later on, isn't he the guy that le- that's like turns yes. on the Murdochs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting to see the little, little bits of foreshadowing like that pay off. Um, so Murdoch or, order, offers like a really good group of bounty hunters $1,000 a piece to eliminate um, Django or the stranger. And then I wanted to know what $1,000 would be in, in if it was uh, calculated for inflation. Unfortunately, the inflation calculations only go back to 1913, but $1,000 in 1913 is $26,975.15. So I'm guessing it was probably close to $30,000 just to take out one guy for everybody involved. Because at one point, the bounty hunters even offered Django a spot because they don't know what he looks like because you know camera phones haven't been invented yet. Um, they offer him a thousand dollars and he kind of like just shoots him down. Um, and then we jump ahead and Murdoch has cleared the entire town just to catch him, which yep. I like, like, it's, it's very interesting. Cause like, I'm like, Oh, that's an interesting thing. So that now the town is alone and it's going to be empty and it's going to be spooky. And then I also realized, ah, it's probably also for budgetary reasons. Like we can't have a whole town full of people. Yeah. That happens right after Luke shoots the mayor and the sheriff. Yeah, exactly. Clear him out because like we gotta take care of this guy once and for all. Um, and then this is when Murdoch sends his men out after him, and Murdoch sends them back on crosses on horses. Like Django is ice cold in this movie. And Alita is given a chance to leave, but she basically says that I'm sticking around just to see how the game plays out, which pisses off Rod Murdoch, basically meaning that like she's just hanging around to watch the Murdoch brothers die. Um we get another scene with Luke, like she she somehow senses Django is in the house and she goes up to speak to him and then Luke is listening. Yeah. Uh, and then he thinks that they can lure um, lure Django with money, which sounds like a dumb idea at the time, but this mm-hmm. somehow does pan out for him a little later on, but that's just jumping ahead. Is this where we get the flashback to like what happened? Yeah, I think that's around here. Yeah. Well, we do get the the cross. He puts another cross down or something. And this one has, um, uh, I think, Rod Murdoch's name on mm. it for the next day. It's for tomorrow. Yeah. And this is when he goes around. And he's like, who who, who put this message down? And, and they're talking to the... And, and Django's actually in the bar there playing cards. Mm. Yeah. They're like, aren't you going to help us find this guy? And he's like, I'd rather just finish my game here. And yeah. Then, and then the guy goes out and is like, finish his game. And then he like runs back in and Django's gone. So, uh, But yeah, I think this is where they fill in the blanks on, on that. And it, surprisingly enough, it, it turns out that they were, they were Confederate Army guys, I guess. Yeah, yeah. so here's something interesting about Italian <laughs> Westerns is that I feel that like, because Italians didn't, the same thing happened in, uh, in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Like it was shown that the, the North were like the sadistic, cruel yeah. people. <laughs> But it's the rebels. They're the rebels. It sounds like they're the mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I mean, like, like the side like, to be on, right? Yeah, the Confederacy. But the the interesting thing is that like a lot of history of like the Civil War, like in American Civil War, isn't known in Italy. So what they basically based all of their Civil War stuff on is like is like Gone with the Wind. So like you know, oh, the Southern gentlemen, the South shall rise again. And they didn't like, like it was because someone brought it up in an essay on Sergio Leone and they even said like, they didn't really know that it was about slavery because, you know, anything they saw of it was always like written by a Southerner about Southern gentlemen and like the tragedy of the Civil War. So it's very bizarre how like there was kind of like this blind spot at the time to Italian filmmakers just being like, well, I guess both sides are bad, you know. 
that whole. But anyway, that it's not important here. The moral is that the senior officers, who are all like rich men, they desert and turn their backs on their own men. Yeah, and, and actually, I think shoot them down themselves. Like, yeah, they 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 sold them out to the Union because they saw they knew which way that which way the war was going, and so they just set up all their men to die. It's like, and, wouldn't you just surrender the troop? Like, why would you? Just, I don't know. Yeah, I know that's the thing. And like, they even at one point, one of them even says, "Like, what if one of them lives?" And then they just go through and shoot Django some more. Like, it's yeah. The the, the one detail here is that um, the one of the officers find found some whiskey, and none of them have had mm-hmm. whiskey for a while. And they go to Django's tent, and they're like, "Hey, here's some whiskey." And Django let's is split it. Yeah. He's like, "Oh, hey, let's split it with the officers. We're good men. Let's do that." And yeah. then they, he goes into the tent, and he's like, um, "They're gone." Uh, major murdoch and then they're gone they deserted yeah and then he's able to take this bottle a little later on this is what causes the flashback because he finds the same bottle like mm-hmm. same brand uh yeah. he goes to uh murdoch's house he appears mm-hmm. and he's like i've been wanting to give this to you for 13 years yeah but he doesn't kill him here he's 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 too no like, because he said he said he was going to kill him the next day <laughs> true he's got that on the yeah he doesn't want to have to like pay to get a new cross made. Um, <laughs> Just a recarve. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, at which point now are we at? Where does Luke shoot Django first, or does he hang well, Django first? No, this is there's so there's a bit of a section because now we're going into overnight, and Django's mm-hmm. starting to take the uh, all these mercenaries down one mm-hmm. by one. Um, in the shadows and then it's got my favorite thing which i actually laughed out loud is when they're all sitting by the fire and they're like you think he's a ghost maybe we should leave blah 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 Mm -hmm. i don't know who this mysterious stranger is he's taking us all out one by one but i think if we stick together we'll probably survive it what do you think stranger (laughs) and the stranger's like nope yeah (laughs) like well that's your opinion and then he throws Uh, his cigar into the fire which causes the fire to explode it's so funny yeah, no, it's great. It's that old thing of like, but again, because like, you don't know what he looks cigar. like. Sorry, what was that? What do you film? think, you guy? Hmm? Oh, no, it's, it's like an Acme cigar. Mm-hmm. Like, like the CIA have give, tried to kill uh, Fidel Castro with uh, exploding cigars. This is a true story. Oh, yeah, no, I know. They, they right. did yeah. get rid of Fidel Castro. The exploding cigar pumping LSD in, in through the, uh, what was it, the... Uh, air conditioning system so that he would wig out on national tv like paying his lovers to try and kill him but they all are just like nah um yeah he's too good of a lover mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah that's what fidel castro is known for his loverness um but that just struck me as very fun it's very it did seem like out of a looney tunes uh scene just like bugs bunny would appear amongst the men and yeah (laughs) with a carrot yeah (laughs) yeah um, um so, and, so but then yeah he um he finds alita and he mm-hmm. he sees her out in the open and then he touches her on the shoulder and she's like i've got the money and he's like oh, let's run. Money. and then that's when luke shows up yeah and he says and the, luke guy... is the most annoying little kid brother in the world just i could not stand this guy. <laughs> yeah i know well he says like ha Django, you should know better than to trust a woman and it's just sort of like really that's what you went to you like you you snuck around and followed your wife that only married you for money and you think that's what the issue was like oh Django trusted this woman so you know he had no idea I was following her around and then this is where we actually learned that Django is a human being for sure yeah. is he because the ending kind of leaves it ambiguous but uh, Luke shoots him and this is where it's like I've got his gun he's not a ghost there's his blood I've got his blood and he runs through the town being super excited and like aren't I smart I fooled him I got his blood I can show that he's human he's wounded I- he's out there actually did like um Django's way of wiggling out of this which was another like kind of a hacky uh, almost cartoonish thing where it's like he's got him dead to rights Luke does with a gun on him he's got his own gun he's a, he's he's unarmed him um and then Django is just like wow you're so smart Luke you're the one I'm really afraid of mm-hmm. how how do, how why don't the other men treat you like the genius that you are and he just flatters them until he's able to get an opening and then yeah he throws his poncho over Luke's head and then <laughs> runs away yeah, it's not as funny as we're describing it, but it's pretty funny. Um, yeah, and so he's wandering around now. And is this when... Um... There, he's in, He's hiding, he's bleeding. Mm-hmm. Uh, he bleeds on a couple of men. Basically, they send out the posse town-wide. And it does another thing, which is kind of funny, where like the men will creep right up to the uh, darkened alleyway where Django mm-hmm. is hiding. 
against the yeah. wall. Mm-hmm. And one will turn to the other and he's like, you see him? And then the other one will say, no, nah, let's move on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's an alleyway right there. You go. Yeah. You but, um, but he's like, um, what? Yeah. Yeah. Kit. Oh, he's just hiding. He's just uh, hiding out. Um, and then, yeah, that's when uh, the men start to be like, they start to get spooked again. They start to think he's a ghost and they don't want to die. So they're like, maybe we don't want to be here. We, money's not worth it. Mm-hmm. And this is when the two, like basically Murdoch's like closest men and the hired like guns turn on each other and there winds up being a slight shootout. So now uh, some of the hired men get shot, some of Murdoch's men get shot and then the hired men ride away. And so now Murdoch's men are like, le- like left with little, uh, whatchamacallit, little uh, yes kit. Well, and this is once again Luke's fault, the uh, worst mm. kid brother in the world, because oh, yeah, because he shoots first. The men are like they they throw the money down or whatever. They're like, we don't want to do it. And then Rod Murdoch is like, all right, well, if you want to go, you're free to go or whatever he does. And then um, Luke just comes out of nowhere uh, and says, "Where do you think you're going? Um, you better not move another inch, otherwise I'll shoot you all." And then he starts shooting them, and of course they shoot back. So Luke causes this shootout to happen, which is seriously depletes their numbers how does luke convince Django to go into the church phil do you remember how that works no <laughs> kid do yeah you i feel like that was just left out but once it, it rod uh i keep on wanting to calling him ross but rod decides that they have to wait till uh, morning because now mm-hmm. they don't have enough men so he like tells all his men you got to stay inside we can't go out he'll just pick us off one by one in the night mm-hmm. but then luke he uh he says like oh i gotta go to the washroom and then and he knocks his kind of guard out. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, oh. he goes to the church. And then Yango just kind of wanders into the church. I don't know how this was arranged. Mm-hmm. And he wanders right into the noose. I don't, I don't yeah. even know how that works. Yeah, it's very odd. Like maybe he maybe Luke threw it like a lasso. And then Luke yeah. tries to hoist him up, but he's not very strong. And so Django is able to like reach down and get a knife out of his boot That's- and cut the rope. It's like, I didn't count on a knife. No. no. Yeah, Luke was very upset at that. <laughs> you can't do that. I think that's his line. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, he's very angry. It's like, that's not fair. Damn I'm it. supposed to be the killer, not you. Uh, and um, so he dies. He just kind of falls off the rafters and I guess breaks his neck or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then we're left. Um, now it's morning. And uh, doesn't isn't the doesn't the cross appear like right in the in front of Murdoch's house? Yeah, I think he yeah. picks off another couple of men or something like that, and then yeah, the cross just. And then the stranger emerges with his gun. We have a standoff, and it ends in a draw, basically, right? They face each other, and just the stranger fires fastest. We did forget about that one part after Luke is killed. Then they go out on another hunt, mm-hmm. um, and. And they're kind of they're strolling down the street, and he's like, "You boys looking for me?" Oh yeah. And like, huh? What? And then he's got like this little chair, and then he just turns around, and he's got his gun. More spooky, goofy shenanigans. Yeah. And so then he kills uh, Rod Murdoch, and Rod Murdoch crawls up to his own cross with his own death date on it. And then uh, Alita comes back up to Django and says, "Like, why don't we run off together? I've got all their money now. We can, you know, we can live. We have enough money to live forever, or whatever." And he's like. No one lives forever. And then he walks <laughs> off into the distance. I mean, he's got her there. And then he just walks away into the distance and vanishes. So was he a ghost? Was he human? We don't know. Uh, I think he was human. Yeah. He's, he had like a trap door or something rigged up where he's like, as soon as she looks away, I'll just poof, go down it. <laughs> he's just hiding out there. He, he just has ninja skills. Mm-hmm. And that was Django the Bastard, which is our second spaghetti Western we've done on this movie, on this movie, on this podcast. Uh, I want to do some more, like, I would love to do The Great Silence, which is probably one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is good. And maybe, like, just a weird, maybe Lucio Fulci's Western for the Apocalypse, which is also known for being just incredibly brutal. Um, but Django the Bastard, let me see, uh, what else do I have here, note-wise? So, uh, Alita is played by Rada Razumov, um, who also appeared in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and she was also in Dario Argento's The Cat O' Nine Tales. She has a very uh, Melania Trump look, I thought. She does. She, she's like, she's Eastern European Italian. Like, she's like, a, like, she's like, I think her, like, her parents are Eastern European and then they moved to Italy, probably after World War II to escape, you know, all that stuff. 
Um, although she was born in Rome, I think before World War II. Because you got to remember, like everyone's like thirty or something in this movie, so that means they're all born in the thirties or the twenties. Um, and uh, let's see, Paolo Go- Goslino. Paolo Goslino plays Rod Murdoch. He starred in the nineteen sixty seven Italian superhero movie Flashman as Flashman. Nice. Um, and uh, Luciano Rossi played Hugh Murdoch or Luke Murdoch, as he's called in this in this print. He is legitimately a hunchback, and he was in a lot of films throughout the 60s, 70s, and 80s, including Lucio Fulci's City of the Living Dead that we covered all the way back in Death by Video episode 58. Uh, so Django the Bastard is widely noted as being a direct influence on Clint, Eastwood, Clint, eh, on Clint Eastwood's High Plains Drifter. That film features a mysterious drifter who returns from the dead to avenge his own death, kind of like this film. Uh, filmmaker and noted spaghetti Western historian Alex Cox compares uh, Stefan's Django character to Charles Bronson's harmonica from Sergio Leone's Once Upon a Time in the West, which was released yeah, a year before. Mm-hmm. Um, and the interesting thing is that initially upon the original release of Once Upon a Time in the West, many audience members assumed that harmonica was a ghost uh, because he seemed to appear out of nowhere and just slide in the frame, much like Django the Bastard. Although in both cases, they kind of were shown that they were human. So Kit, or so guys, uh, Phil, final thoughts on Django the Bastard. I really enjoy this one. Uh, yeah, it's really well shot. I really like the dramatic tight shots. Uh, great, great shadow play happening. Mm-hmm. I commented on how much I enjoyed the score. That was really good as well. And yeah, just a really good looking, really real bare bones, real well paced uh, revenge mm-hmm. tale. Yeah, cool. Kit, what are your final thoughts on Django the Bastard? It's funny. It's like when I put it on, I just wasn't in the mood for it, and it wasn't wasn't I wasn't feeling it to begin with. But it won me over. I mean, it's just ninety percent just Django just gunning guys down, yeah, in various different ways. Like, oh, this guy's hiding behind a grain sack. Django shoots through the grain sack and kills the guy, and then a little grain falls out. Yeah, um, it's just got tons of little things like that. And I just thought it was like some of the cam- like you know guys looking on his bookshelf, and you're like looking through the bookshelf at him, like mm-hmm. it had like little um cinematic tricks and, and fun things like how they get Django to disappear. Mm-hmm. Uh one guy will be like, hold on, Django, let me just go reach my gun. And then Django's not there anymore. Yeah. Um uh, it was fun. I liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it's a very fun film. Um yeah, so for my final thoughts, I enjoyed it. Like I it's it's a very light wet uh spaghetti western. Had you or seen this like one it? before, Grant? Had you seen this one before? No, no, it just came up on Tubi. Like I've been like doing a deep dive of like trying to like get together an actual watch list because all of these streaming services are not categorized or organized very well outside of like Shutter. So it's it's actually like oh like it, it'll pop up and like you might like this and I should I'm like I'll add that to my watch list and I was like oh Jangle the Bastard. We haven't done too many spaghetti westerns. Uh, I do want to do some Bruce exploitation before we hit episode 100. I really want to do the Clones of Bruce Lee. Um, but no, I had not seen this one before. I'd seen Django kill and I've seen Django, obviously, uh, still haven't seen Django strikes again, which is the only official sequel to Django starring Franco Nero, but that's more of a Rambo type movie where with Django as Rambo, where he's been living as a monk for years. And now he comes out and he has to like save his daughter with a Gatling gun. So it's damn. Yeah. (laughs) Not in the eighties. So we'll see. Apparently, uh, John sales was writing a new Django film, for Franco Nero, where it's like kind of set like the amount of time has passed from the original Django that's passed in real life. And now Django is in like Hollywood and like the early 1920s. And he's an old man teaching actors how to like ride horses and shoot guns and stuff. And basically he's on the set of Birth of a Nation. And he sees that the KKK are being portrayed as the good guys. And he remembers because in the original Django, he fought the Ku Klux Klan He's like, no, 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 these are the bad guys. They're not to be like lionized. So he quits the production and he goes to Mexico and he has an adventure in Mexico. It occurred to me that Franco Nero is the uh, the Italian Frank Black, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, kind of. Oh, yeah. Not very interesting. Cut it, cut it. <laughs> no, that'll stay in. Um, <laughs> my final thoughts, I enjoyed this film. I had not seen it before. Um, I liked it. It's a very Sunday afternoon watch it reminds me of like back in the when we were kids in the 90s like some channel was always showing a western on sunday afternoon so yes. kind of like that although with a with a cooler soundtrack and like a much more a way higher body count than most westerns like django just mows through people in this movie never reloads his gun once 
you don't see it. It happens often. You don't see him piss either. It just yeah, exactly. things you don't see Django do. Yeah. Or eat. So all that stuff. I know. You see him uh, take a drink though. One one time he does take a drink. Oh yeah, the champagne. Um all right, so that's Django the Bastard. So moving on, our our film next week is actually a newer film from 2020. Uh, which is just out on DVD right now and Blu-ray, I think. We're going to be watching Psycho Ape from director Addison Binek or Binek. Um, so this is a 2020 film. It stars Kansas Bowling, which initially turned me on to it. I'm a big fan of Kansas Bowling uh, and her films. She has a new film coming out this year, which I'm excited to hear about. I think all that stuff got delayed because of the pandemic. And as my dehumidifier kicks on, I think that's time to wrap up the podcast. So for Death by Video. I've been Phil. I've been Kip. And I've been Graham saying thank you so much for listening. Keep watching awesome movies. Good night. Listen well, my-